Hello, welcome to another episode of Talking Shot, the photography podcast. I am Ross Grieve. I'm Matt Jacobs. And this week we are joined by, oh, I'd almost say um, rock photography royalty. He's, he's certainly getting up there. <laughs> Giggling away in the background. Um, we're joined by the wonderful wonderful Peter Neal. Um, he's just one of the, the top uh, music industry video directors and photographers. A couple of clients you might know, Queen, Justin Timberlake, The Script, U2. Just a couple there, Peter. Welcome, mate. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate yeah. it, guys. Yeah, it's um, it's nice to actually have a diversion from you know the lockdown routine of going to living room to kitchen to bathroom to bedroom. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, the commute's quite long now. Yeah, isn't it? absolutely. I've had to stop off and pick up my laptop between two of them now to do this. It's great. <laughs> I read uh, I read somewhere today. Someone put, oh, I've got great great mileage on my car now. I get three weeks to the going. <laughs> That's the truth. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. So, I mean, as obviously, gosh, like every every photographer, unless you're you know shooting products in a studio, is uh, it's it's pretty much quiet time. So, how does it work out for you? Yeah, well, um, it's pretty scary in some ways. Like, pretty much every booking I have until October is already cancelled. Wow. Um, so that's pretty scary because I do very little studio stuff. The studio stuff that I've done up until now is morely quite quite incidental, you know, um, to the, the live work, which is the very much the core. Um, I am lucky that I have a fair bit of video work I've started doing the last couple of years. And it's actually kind of a backlog of long-fingered products, which were, you know, hoping to edit at some point in the future, but the time hadn't come up either with the client or for me. And now I've reached out to those clients and say, hey, we've got this stuff that we never actually turned into that, you know, edited into that end result. So I'm working on um, some recordings of some big shows with some clients to cut them down to potentially TV size, you know, one hour programs. Um, I've never really done it that particularly, but it's... um, I'm even getting some of the talent involved to record, you know, links and audio segments between the different tracks and so on. And a lot of the um, TV stations, for instance, have massive holes in their schedules for, yeah. you know, music events. So they're they're crying out for content, mm. which um, basically means my the stuff I give them might just get through their crap filter. Cool. <laughs> you know, with, with any luck. <laughs> touch wood but apart from that i mean obviously i'm getting a, a lot more time with family which is which is great yeah. like i have a little boy who's five and a girl who's 10 and extra time with them before before they get to the point of not wanting to talk to me anymore is definitely is definitely good um we've done things like we've put a tent up in the back garden you know we don't have a lot of space in the house so yeah so tents in the back garden was like something to give the kids a bit of extra space whereabouts uh, you based yeah tooting in, in london oh, right south london yeah, yeah. Yeah, South London. I moved over here from Ireland in C- 2012. Citizen Smith country. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. But no, we like it here. And there's like big parks and stuff, though we can't really use them right now. So um, because it's just like they're flooded with people who don't know how to behave responsibly. So we kind of just have to walk up and down the streets here. That's about it. Yeah. As a, as it's, a it's a really bizarre world we're living in. But um, like you say, you know, camping out in the, in the backyard, those are those are memories for the kids and stuff, aren't they? They really are. Oh, yeah. They'll, they'll remember that there was time with mum and dad and that. But I don't remember begging my children to put Wi-Fi out in the tent when I was a child, though. (laughs) That's what they want now. I want Wi-Fi out in the tent so I can watch something on my iPad. It's just like I had sticks and stones, you know? Yeah, first world problems, isn't (laughs) it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So I'm going to ask the the 
the fated question. How did mm-hmm. you get into photography? It's kind of a long, a long story. So uh, I'll condense. I'll condense it down. But it's we're not going anywhere anyway. Okay, I, well, I, won't, con- yeah. I won't. I won't. condense it down. Then. That's grand. Um, <laughs> if you know, yeah, give me a signal if you're like if I see you falling asleep, I'll cut it short. <laughs> uh, no, basically, um, my grandfather. Can I? I grew up in the west of Ireland, and my grandfather lived with us, and he had. Um, always had SLRs, but he didn't do much with them. But he taught me a little bit of the kind of the theory about it at the time, though I had absolutely zero artistic skill. And, but I did from the ages of kind of seven or eight and nine, I did pick up some of the theory of it, which kind of sat somewhere in my brain, but I did nothing, nothing with it, if that makes sense, but very little practical experience. He was a a scientist by trade. So that's where his interest came from. And, you know, over, the, over my teens, I started, you know, uh, doing a little bit. I had one of those PowerShot G3s and, you know, and then eventually years later, a PowerShot G10 and so on. But, and I had a couple of, um, I, I, I had a couple of old Canon SLRs and I had experimented with my brother with developing some film in some, my late teens, black and white stuff. And he had a little darkroom set up in his bedroom, but I didn't do much. And then I went into working in IT after school. Um, I left school at 18 after my, what's called my leaving certificate, end of school exams, and went to college for a couple of years, dropped out because I got, I was lucky to be poached by what was uh, then Compaq for a kind of third level education slash job in one. Um, And I did that for a couple of years and, and went into like systems admin with like Microsoft and various others over the years. And then the big crash hit and, 2007 and 2008 and um, photography had been a hobby and I guess I'd slightly started to veer into some level of more artistic skill and away from the technical by that time and like half the country in Ireland I didn't know what I was going to do because I'd lost my job and it was all it was all going to crap and um, I did what a lot of people did and you know how everyone was buying their EOS 40Ds and Amazon at that time and all that kind of jazz, uh, or their 350Ds and so on. I um, I bought a 350D um, and I started secondhand off a friend. And then I started shooting some weddings, which was the worst thing I ever did. Um, I say worse because I'm not built for the stress of weddings. Um <laughs> uh, and I quickly migrated from the 350Ds to a couple of 40Ds. And I shot in two years about 50 weddings, uh, maybe about three years, actually. And I never had one go wrong. Um, clients were always happy, but I always felt that I was within a whisker of disaster. You know, whether that be the rain or um, a groomsman disappearing to watch the football and me being blamed for it. You know, I felt that there was so much stuff that I couldn't uh, be in control of. And I started to... I started to hate my camera, to be honest. And it was something that I would put away and I was always nervous about the next wedding or, you know, before or panicked about the one I'd just done, whether I got the material I needed. So it ended up in this scenario that I hate, start to hate the camera. And then I thought, I have to get out of weddings. Mm. Um, plenty of people who are built for it, just not me. So I was like, well, I'd love to stay in photography if I could find a, a medium which interested me and that I could see myself working in um, if it turned out I had what it took to do it. So uh, 
a mate of mine who I've been sharing all these thoughts with, this guy called Shane Fismaris, who's a, he's a nurse actually, uh, and a musician. Um, he saw an advert in a newspaper for a web development contract in a graphic design company that was owned by U2 at the time ah. called 451. And he was like, you should check this place out because they're looking for this short-term contract. But there's this guy who works there called uh, Steve Averill. And Steve Averill is the guy who named U2. Uh, and designed their album covers. Now, he he actually named you two and gave them a list of five names back in the day. Uh, they were originally called The Hype. And um, he gave them a list of five names, which he said would graphically and iconically stand the test of time. A bit like a good suit never goes out of fashion. Simple but strong design never goes out of fashion. Um, and you two was one of the five that he gave them. And um, so anyway, I thought this guy's royalty. If anyone has any, could have some advice for me, how I got into this, he's the guy. I had never really shot a gig apart from bringing a camera down to a Christian music festival in, in Wicklow and grabbing a few shots just to experiment with the idea of potentially, you know, getting into something like this. So went to, got the, applied for this contract, got the contract. He wasn't even there the first week. <laughs> I was gutted. And then the second week of my two weeks there, I, w- I heard he was in the office and I was at lunch sitting up at the, at the desk where they had me and I was reading about him, planning on introducing to him to my, introducing myself to him later that day. Only that I get this tip on the shoulder and I turn around and it's him and he can see me looking at a picture of him on my screen. And I'm like, this is just the worst. Um, so... Anyway, after that horrendous start, um, I showed him the couple of bits I had shot that were vaguely related to music and uh, lots of other stuff like that I had shot that wasn't at all related and asked for his advice. You know, um, if I was to think about trying to get into this in these economically tumultuous times, what on earth should I do? And not expecting him to do anything, I found out the next day that he'd rang Bono Wow. And yeah, and as you do. Yeah, as, as you, you do. do. And he told Bono that he wanted them to bring me over to Sheffield to Don Valley Stadium in 2009 for the gig there. I think that stadium's gone now, but um, for uh, on their 360 tour. So I went over to that. It was my first proper gig. I had a three song pass. Um, weird sidebar to this that. My dad is, uh, at the time, he was the Church of Ireland, which is the equivalent of the Church of England. He, at the time, he was the Church of Ireland Archbishop of Dublin. Now, yeah. growing up in the west of Ireland, when my dad was a bishop in the west of Ireland, there was this clergyman in, in the diocese called Jack Heaslip, who sadly passed away a couple of years ago um, of ALS. But he was the band's full-time chaplain and went everywhere, every gig around the world. And um, he'd been given the heads up um, by my family that I was going to be at this concert. So I'm sitting outside this venue at Don Valley Stadium and uh, this cleric comes out to, to all, all the photographers are waiting and says, is Peter Neal here? And I'm like, Jack? Because I hadn't seen this guy since I was like seven. And, <laughs> and, um, and I didn't even know until then that he actually worked with you too, because it was kind of a, a well-kept secret at that time. So yeah, he brought me in, kind of showed me around, set up my nerves a little. And because I was definitely going through a time of anxiety with all the finance, financial stress at the time of the, of the recession. So a settling hand on the shoulder was just what I needed, to be honest with you. So I shot that gig, went, went really well. Um, a couple of pictures actually ended up from that gig, ended up in the official book of the tour. And oh, wow. then and then a year later, 
the stuff was really hitting the fan at home economically in Ireland, so I did nothing for a year. What year is this, then, Peter? About 2008? 2009. This, 2009. 2009, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And then uh, for the next year, I did nothing music photography-wise. Uh, yeah. but I was just fire firefighting at home, to be honest. And mm. um, I got an invite from you 2 to come and shoot the show in Paris in 2010. And nice. um, under the same thing, it was just three songs, no flash, you know. They, they didn't know me from Adam, so they weren't going to give me a full gig access, you know. Uh, but that went really well as well. And somebody happened to spot one of the images I took from that, and I ended up with my first magazine cover, wow. which was for wow. the maiden edition of Billboard's South American edition, so for the front cover of their, of their magazine. Um, so that was kind of my first magazine cover. And... Um, after that, I kind of realized I mean, it was great experience, but it certainly didn't teach me any skills because these were amazingly lit shows where all you had to do was vaguely point your camera in a good direction and you get a good shot. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was very aware that I had a lot of sk- skills that I needed to, at- to attain and that I didn't necessarily have. So I contacted a local promoter in Ireland called MCD, who are involved in most of the gigs around Dublin. And... Um, I ended up shooting a lot of content for them over a few years for next to no fee. Often they just cover petrol. Sometimes really was no fee, if any. And fair play for thinking that way as well, because it'd be very easy to, you know, sort of sit back, go, this is amazing. I can do this. Look at my pictures. Wow, they're brilliant. But, you know, you sort of acknowledged everything's laid out for you and you're sort of up in your game. Yeah, and I think, it was. I, I I kind of felt at the time, and I still feel that I was I was blessed with a lucky opportunity to get my foot in the door, and now I had to actually work to do something with the opportunity at the end of the day. So they gave me access to a lot of really small, dingy gigs in Dublin, in like in you know in tiny pubs, and then and then occasionally to bigger venues and to festivals that came you know that came later once they'd learned to trust me a little and and the like, and that eventually started to turn into introductions from them to some of their clients, and then. Um, I remember they they got me on stage to shoot something last minute with Coldplay at a festival where this Irish singer called Christy Moore was going to be singing on stage with Chris Martin. Mm-hmm. So I got I was at the festival and they were like, Peter, are you still here? We need you on stage, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that was a kind of great opportunity. And then ultimately that led to an intro to the script. Who mm-hmm. and then that and that was in the intro to them was in 2011. And then I've been their official photographer ever since. Um, and they're they're good mates now. And then working with them kind of led to a lot of other bands, to people like Will I Am and Justin Timberlake, and Elbow and Rick Astley, who I do a ton with. Going, going, just going back to the Elbow, yeah. I just saw what you posted in the last couple of days. You just um, their new uh, album, yes, which you've done, which you've done all the photography for, yes, um, which is live at the Ritz. That's right, yeah, in Manchester. Yeah, it was an amazing event. Um, it was kind of as part of their album. Uh, they have a an album called Giants of All Sizes they brought out last year. And that was like the launch event for that uh, in Manchester. And um, they ended up making a live album out of that show. So wow. I was, I, thankfully, I, I didn't know that that going into it. So I'm just happy that I got enough of what they needed for um for 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 the artwork, <laughs> oh, cool. Because I guess, well, I guess you were telling the story and not just doing, um, you know, pit photos, if you like. You're sort of you're doing you're producing a whole story of of that event for them as well. Yeah, which is why, which is I guess why you can, you're a bit different, and it's a very trusting industry. People have to trust you to progress as well because, you know, you you step out of line once and it's game over, isn't oh, it? Trust is the biggest thing, and because I. 
there's a there's two ways to approach music industry well there's more than two but there's two i i guess routes that a lot of people go the press route and working for publications which obviously gives you probably you get to shoot a lot more acts than i get to shoot um because of the fact that you know working for a big publication opens a, a lot of doors and where's the route I ended up going is kind of working with the artist directly, which is great, but it means there's less bands that I work with, obviously. But it trust is a, a big part of it. Um, and it's, you're kind of skill and, and whether the end result is one thing, but what they want more is somebody that they can work with and trust. When I go along to a gig, like especially for the first time with a client I've not worked with before, one of the most important things I have to do is make sure that everybody on the ground knows that I know my place, that I know that my role on that night is tiny. They haven't seen any end results yet. These are people who've never met me before. It might be a stage manager who's saying, this is a big show and I've got this unknown entity who's arrived. Are they going to jump onto the stage when they shouldn't? So, you know, I have to take my time and introduce myself to the security people, chat to the lighting people, you know, it's like being the vicar at the church, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It is a bit like that, actually. Yeah, it is. Uh, but it's... There's also trust about knowing when to click and when not to click, you know, and yeah. when to put the camera in the bag. Um, you know, if somebody's family comes backstage, there might be times where they might like a picture of the family backstage, but they also appreciate the time when you put the lens cap on the camera and, and know that this is time for them. That would be nice to document, but it's more important that it's just for them. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I understand, I understand that. I've been in situations like that too. I completely... Yeah, respect that as well. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people would, well, not, some people would take advantage of that and then they end up on the blooming paper, don't they? So, yeah. But then they would never, they wouldn't, they'd be out the door. They wouldn't get a chance again. So, well, that's exactly it. Yeah. I mean, uh, you can, I, I probably have pictures that I could make a quick book off, but I'd never work again. <laughs> you mm. know, it's, a, it's not worth it. And you yeah. have to be able to sleep at night at the end of the day as well. Yes, you do. You do. Yeah. So, um, with, with um, music photography, um, so you would have started. You would have started in the pit. Your first sort of gigs would have been the pit. Oh yeah, so- absolutely. It wasn't until quite a bit later that I actually got to move out of the pit. But it was all for the pit for the first year or two. Absolutely. So did you find there was a bit of a hierarchy in that, or? Oh, definitely. Um, it was well. There, there was a hierarchy from those from those who wanted there to be a hierarchy. There were, there was yeah. all, I always felt that um, there was some, there was a lot of people at any given gig that I would go to, especially the ones in the bigger venues. And you'd have people who were there who were there because they loved it and people who were team players who would make sure they were standing in a great spot that they didn't hog that spot for the whole time. But then there were also the people who were clearly there just for them. Uh, you know, and it's not for me to I don't know the circumstances around that it's not for me to judge entirely I can't judge those people because one of those people who's there very very in a way what might achieve, might appear selfishly they could have phenomenal pressure coming down on them from their publication to get a specific shot sure. so I can't judge somebody's motives but there definitely was a hierarchy uh, I witnessed a lot of second uh, a lot of sexism as well you know you mm. uh, there were uh, female photographers who who have really come to the fore in Ireland who I, who uh, like Catherine Bumbach is a, is one of them who she's very, very successful. But uh, you know, I would have witnessed a time when you'd see people looking at a woman in the pit, uh, you know, th- clearly being sexist and making comments to one another. And you're like, you know, what year is this? Yeah. Or you yes. see gear, uh, 
gear condemnation where you'd see people looking at someone with a small camera thinking look at them like you know uh, it it's it's bizarre but equally i have to say there are the majority of people were were the other way thankfully you know but it's it's always the minority yeah. thankfully who mm-hmm. were who were like that so speaking of gear what what do you tend to shoot on so to? i shoot on mirrorless i switched to mirrorless a couple of years ago um so i shoot currently on an a7r4 and an yep. a7r3 um, I do have an A7S2, which has recently, at Easter actually, self-sacrificed itself, which is kind of bizarre. <laughs> um, it seems to have stopped working. Um, I need to get that repaired but at some point in the near future. Um, yeah, I switched to mirrorless a couple of years ago just because we, I kind of realized there was a lot of benefits to it as regards real-time work and seeing the, yeah. the changes to what I was doing with the with the settings on my camera happen in real time and not having to stop and check. Um, yeah, it's amazing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is quite phenomenal. Really is. Um, I am I am as it happened a Sony ambassador, um, and I do love their cameras. But this not you know the mirrorless and the technology in itself, what I do can be achieved by whatever your favorite mirrorless brand is, you know, yeah, or equally, yeah, and it's not that even other formats of camera as well. But for me, I think mirrorless is a, is a change, which I was pessimistic about at first, but I have totally embraced now. But I'm guessing because you've got two bodies, you just work with two pieces of glass and that's sort of you for, yeah, for a gig. I, I can never bring myself to only have two pieces of glass with me. It's <laughs> kind of like if the only time I'll have only two pieces of glass on me is if I'm doing multiple nights at the same venue, because then yeah. I can have an idea. I can tonight I'm going to do mostly whites or, you know, and, and that kind of stuff or, or tonight I'll be just 50 mil or just 85 mil. But I tend to have at any given time, I'll always have a 24 to 70 on one of the cameras. I was going to say, cause it sounded like you were just shooting on prime. Yeah, there, but- no, um, I, 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 but 24 to 70, I mean, I love it, but it's also a great, unexpected moment lens you know because mm. you if you if you're not on your ideal lens in the other camera you can get something that you you know very very good with a 24 to 70 i do love primes fast primes so on the other on the other camera i'll often have um it might be a 50 um or a 35 or 85 um sometimes it really a lot of it depends on the venue size it might be the case that yeah. at a given venue my 85 has actually become a, a 70 to 200 you know, um, so you evolve, you evolve all the time. Yeah. You, and so. I love, a, I love a super wide as well. Um, but you know, just to, for capturing sheer drama, particularly with things like, you know, confetti and getting like really low down in the pit and getting the, the singer, you know, front of the stage, arms out and explosive confetti going off and all. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, there's <laughs> something about yeah. wide, super wide for that, you know? So while we're speaking about equipment, have you ever managed to trash a piece of equipment? I'll tell you, because I, I was on a, a gig and it was overseas. Mm-hmm. It was it was for uh, a big sort of blue chip company. It was in Mauritius. Got up on this high point and I just adjusted my zoom. And where the zoom was, was the release button as well. Oh. Plop. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> 14, to, 14 to 24 went smash on the floor. <sighs> and weirdly, I'd brought a, another one. Is backup. I don't know why, but I had another one. And they went, don't worry, it's covered. So I was just like, oh, my God. So that was a disaster Whoa. in front of the clients. Uh, it's just. Um, but which they thought was hilarious. Um, thank goodness. But uh, so have you sort of had any? I I've, I had, 
Yeah, I an utterly, utterly bizarre one. Um, it's funny enough, this band had, there's a band called Lawson who they split up in 2016. Funny you should mention this comes up now because this week they announced their return. And, yes, and um, the, they did this amazing docu- uh, mockumentary video, which I was involved in. Actually, if you look at the credits, <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you look at the credits, myself and Rick Astley are thanked in the credits because um, I recorded the clip with Rick uh, swearing um, that's in the intro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I had a, a spectacular moment. We were in Gibraltar and myself and Andy had walked up, we're walking up the rock early one morning um, just to, you know, check out the view, to check out the views. And um, I had camera in my backpack and uh, out of nowhere, a monkey jumped on my backpack <laughs> and un- <laughs> unzipped it. No way. And took out, yeah, unzipped it and took out, a 15, uh, a 15 mil Sigma fisheye that I had in the backpack and threw it down the road. <laughs> wow. And, but the amazing thing was that particular fisheye um, is built to withstand anything, I think. But it's like these really, you know, this, it really metal built in hood on it. And Andy, the Lost and Lead singer, before I realised what happened, he was running down the road after the lens. It was rolling down the hill. And he got it just before it came to one of the tight corners where it would have gone, like, accelerated down the rock. Um, that lens survived. And I just, I, I just had to oh, wow. bend back the hood with the pliers. And um, it lived on until I sold it to a mate uh, only last year. Um, Great story. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, monkey. Proof. Yeah, absolutely. I should, you know, I should, um, I should tell Sigma about that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah I'm sure they'll be glad to hear that. Actually, is it is a tagline yeah, for them? So when when you started out and you started doing your your music mm-hmm. photography, you must have drawn inspiration from some people. And and you know who would they be? You know, I, I sort of think of you know like your Terry O'Neill's, Anton Corbin would be a big yeah. one over every night, and of course so. Um, who would you sort of look up to at that time when you? Uh, so I did in school uh, in Ireland in secondary school. I did art, and my teach art teacher was a nun called Sister Fanula, and I was useless at art in school. And I had absorbed to some extent a lot of what she taught me, but never really understood. Uh, the only part of her of her classes I did take in and love were at the time were the art history element. I was always fascinated by uh, uh, you know uh, by that element of her of her class. But she was always trying to get me to think outside the box as regards composition, um, whether it be in drawing or the photography modules or painting, all of which I was useless at at the time. And when I um, got into into photography properly. Weirdly enough, this what she had taught me way back in the day was a big part of me actually learning or developing some sense of composition. And she always taught me that that and she's still alive, I say was, but she still she always taught me that um that limitations were the key to creativity. And I went on a holiday with the wife to San Francisco. Um, a couple of years before I got into gig stuff, when I was really starting to get it, and I and I had just bought the for the weddings, I had just bought the three hundred and fifty D. I told you the second hand one, and 
Isn't it funny how people always remember their first camera? Oh, yeah. Internet. 100%. Yeah. You say that about limitation. There's something just popped up. I can't believe that on my horoscope thing. It just popped up and it says, what you said about limitation. It says, limitation is a powerful force. When rivers are dammed, electricity is generated. And you, and oh, you wow. just you, you just said that as it pops up. That's really freaky. That's, that's called hydro paramount. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's really freaky. That is really bizarre. Yeah, you, as, you, as bizarre. you said it about limitation, it literally popped up. That's freaky. We've had, okay. we've had that a couple it's, of times today. Me and Ross were talking about printing yeah. earlier. And we, he said, oh, let's have a think about that. And as he said, as he said that, his, his friend phones him. He's got a print shop. That's just really, bizarre. Really, really weird, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, t- you'd think like satellites are going to align yeah. yeah. or something like that, wouldn't you? I mean, yeah. Absolutely, <laughs> that's really bizarre. One, one question yeah. I want to ask you, Pete. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, just before I forget. Have, yeah. um, the, the job that you do, have you ever been starstruck or in awe of someone? Because if I met Jagger or Richards, I would not be out of, I'd, I'd go to pieces. Have you ever had something like that or not? Or are you quite cool with them all? The... the w- I think the first time I met Justin Timberlake right. was someone I had a huge amount of respect for. Um, and it was quite bizarre because the very first time I met him, I went to, I met at this hotel in Dublin right? Uh, just before just before a gig. And um, I got summoned up from the reception, told to go to room, I think it was like 408 or something. Yeah. And I was expecting him to be his management. And I knocked on the hotel door and he opened it. Right. And Jessica Beale was in there in the room as well, and they and then they and they they literally made me a cup of tea and sat me down, and it was just like I was completely thrown by that, not right. expecting it, and I think I was definitely starstruck, not just by him but also her, like you know yeah, uh, yeah. as well, like this staggeringly yeah. you know uh, a, gla- a glamorous woman who like you only seen in you know in magazines and movies, and you're like, sure, and yeah. then they're offering offering you a cup of tea. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, so that would definitely um, definitely one, and the other. There's an amazing composer called Ennio Morricone. Yeah, oh, he's, oh he's, he's a hero of mine. Good, bad, and the ugly. Yeah. It's just the finest score oh, ever. It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. That and like things like the mission and all that. Yeah, you know, just just brilliant. Yeah. And the first time I met him, because I knew, I had heard that he his wife especially doesn't like photographers and doesn't like the media. Right. So I was very aware of of that and um, I was very nervous about meeting them as a result, making sure that they knew that I wasn't. I wasn't approaching what my work with them as something I took yeah, for granted. Yeah. So thankfully, anyway, mm. that came across well, I think. And, um, oh, but the, yeah, I was definitely starstruck. That's, that's, he must be getting well. on now, is he? Yeah, he's definitely in his nineties. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't know for, I, I don't know with any kind of educated perspective, but I don't think it will see him again. I was saying an in interesting point. You probably know being a video man, I was saying to Ross about, about Morricone and Sergio Leone. Sergio Leone, do you know, he was the first ever director to actually cut to music. Before then, everybody else would have scores put to the film, which, which to a large extent they do today. Yeah. And Leone had that in mind, what, and he edited it perfectly to, the, like you would do with a music video. Leone was the first person to ever do that and cut to the music. So if you look at the final scene... Excuse me. Yeah. The graveyard scene of the good, the bad, and the other when he's running round, it's perfectly cut to the music. If you watch it, and he was the first director to ever do that. Oh wow! Yeah, so that's yeah, amazing. Yeah, watch, watch it again. That that's the graveyard scene when Eli Wallace yeah. running round and round. It's just perfect. And apparently, he used to play that music to get Clint Eastwood into the mood and stuff. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It, and like it's literally the reverse way that the films are normally done now. It is, yeah. You have a yeah. score that's put yeah. over, but yeah, but it's it's almost like a music video where he's cutting to it, and nobody had done that. 
Yeah. Wow. And it's probably that's quite difficult narratively as well, because you're trying to get, you know, the narrative of the story to get that work to that kind of editing. That's probably sure. quite, a, quite a challenge yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredible. Uh, that's that's awesome. The to answer the the last bit of your other question, when we went to this um this holiday in San Francisco, um with this three fifty D I just bought, I bought my first prime lens out there, which was an eighty five mil. Yeah. Um, and I was on this yeah. crop sensor digital camera with an eighty five mil, and the idea was I I I'm going to take every single picture in this holiday. Um, this yeah, with just this 85 mil and this crop sensor camera, so I have all these bizarrely composed pictures of like where I'm trying to fit my wife and this landmark in the background, and I, you know, I'm like, you know, contorted by a fence or leaning backwards over an animal enclosure close to my death in the zoo, trying to get st- <laughs> trying to get stuff in shot, and I ended up with these shots that were so different from what I would have taken because I had to had to work for every single shot. And I came back from that holiday with a sense of composition that I had didn't have at all. I wow. up until that holiday, I was a zoom and clicker, where zoom click, you know. And then by yeah. putting that ludicrous restriction on myself, I came home appreciating uh, in my I guess DNA at that point was um, was having to work for a shot. So that that was the moment that changed everything for me, hundred mm. percent. So it was a huge, huge development. Coup. Yeah, yeah. It was it was it was kind of jumping into the into the fire of of a necessity for creativity because otherwise none of my shots were going to come out. <laughs> so what, what about um, if you, if you could choose anything you could go and shoot, what would be your dream shoot? Then? My dream shoot would, yeah, would definitely be Freddie Mercury. hundred percent. Tricky. Uh, tricky. Not going to happen. <laughs> but you know, I, I grew up, I inherited both my older brother's music tastes. And I, I, um, I remember I found an old tape box, audio cassette box that I had, um, back when I was like nine and it had unwritten on it where you two and queen are the best. And, you know, my eldest brother, Stephen, massive U2 fan and my middle brother, Andrew, massive queen fan. And I just, I absorbed that from them. So, wow. you know, and then, so I've been lucky to shoot a lot of stuff with queen and Adam Lambert and got to know Brian May and stuff like that, which is amazing. Um, but yeah, the absolute thing, if I could shoot anything, definitely like uh, live aid, for instance, or any, 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 original queen show i i played um live aid to my kids and uh you know because yeah, yeah. it's on youtube isn't it especially the, and they found it really hard to comprehend the whole that there was a 24-hour concert and you know that was in the states and in the uk and the whole world was sitting at home watching it mm. you know they well, couldn't they watch it no the internet wasn't there then that's yeah. that's you what, the backstory that Peter, why they were so good queen at live aid uh no go on definitely. they were one of the only bands that rehearsed for ages and ages before that gig, they locked themselves away, and they just they oh, just wow. rehearsed. And, and apparently, they, stood, they sneaked their own sound man in as well. Everybody else had a generic sound. <laughs> they took their own sound guy there, and they were rehearsed so well compared to someone like Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin was so bad; they demanded that uh, they weren't on the DVD and the video. They wanted it pulled from all the. That, I mean, that's the act you think of, isn't it? You think yeah, yeah. you think quite. Oh yeah. And you think yeah. Radio Gaga? It, look, yeah. it looks so yeah. effortless, but it had been rehearsed so well and so polished. And you can see that the way it all segues into each other. They'd rehearsed everything, That's yeah. What best decision they ever yeah, made. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They just blew everybody mm-hmm. off. They just blew yeah. everybody away, didn't they? Oh, yeah. Oh, they did. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember remember that. In fact, one of my, my friends uh, just down the road, he's actually got one of the original Live Aid posters really? framed oh. in their house. And it's just like, oh, you know, to get your hands on that. That's something else. It's, uh, 
isn't it? <laughs> I have uh, a couple of things. Brian gave me um, one of his picks, you know, and uh, the coin that he's on. He uses used, the, one of the coins he uses. What's he use? Not this. Is it a sixpence? Silver sixpence? <sighs> yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I've got a couple of little, little bits like that, and you know, and I have any passes that I have from working with that them. I've got, like, you know. Yeah, I've got them like kept. I will frame. There's lots of stuff I want to frame eventually, which I guess now's the time to do it. He, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he made that guitar with his dad, didn't he? The Red Special. Yeah, made, Red made, Special. Yeah, out of a sideboard, and I think the tremolo is a knitting needle, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's quite phenomenal. I think yeah. he has more than one of them now, but he still plays with. Uh, he st- one of the ones he plays with is still the original yeah, and, one. He and made the original one has never been refretted. Can you believe that? How how light must his touch be? Oh my word! Where do you get this I'm information guitar, I'm from? A guitar, no. <laughs> are you are you Brian May in disguise? <laughs> I'm a real guitar nerd. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, no, he he is definitely oh, royalty, mm. and he has a big interest in photography as well. Isn't he? He's got a PhD in astrophysics. He was doing that before he got Queen together or something, and he stopped doing the PhD. Yeah. That was it, and he completed it about ten years ago. I think he went yeah. back, didn't he? He did, and then he did before. Uh, he did a, sh- a TV show or a book, and he did a book with Patrick Moore as well. What's he like? As a per- he comes across as a really nice guy when you see him being interviewed. Oh, incredibly kind he? individual. He comes across very, like very, that, yeah. Yeah, very passionate and very massively into... Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever met anyone who has more of a disdain for injustice. Really, like he's, yeah. You know, he's you know social justice and and protecting the environment. I mean, everyone. I think everyone knows that he's that's a big thing yeah, for him yeah. as well. But yeah, a very, very, very good person, to be honest. A lot of nice. respect for him. Fun facts there stuff, from Yeah, Akers. absolutely. <laughs> 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 when I come out of my nerd stuff and all my spod knowledge. He goes to sleep when I do that. We were in London and we we're um, right near Brick Lane. He goes, See that pub there? See that pub? That's where Jack the Ripper's victims all drank. Oh, I'm terrible with my history wow. and stuff like that. I'm terrible. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Remind me never to go to that pub again. Be watching my back. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, getting back to you, Peter. Mm-hmm. Funny enough, um, talking about all those amazing images and the amazing people that you've met, and that's just the beauty of the job. I, you know, at the end of the day, they are human, aren't yeah. they? They are people, and that's their job. And um, it's a, it's a wonderful thing you do uh, to meet them, but. Do you find, have you ever had an image that got away that you wanted to shoot something and it's just like, <clears throat> it, yeah, th- oh, it's got yeah, away. stuff that like didn't work out that that shot that you think is going to be in focus or you think you've got it. And yeah, there's been, there's definitely been moments like that. Um, one in particular, which I don't think I've ever told anyone about, um, was um, in that second gig I did for you two. Um, there were two frames, one of which was, there was two shots right beside each other. One where Bono looked right into my lens and gave me the finger, literally straight at straight oh, at me. Yeah. And it's just it's a Great blurry shot. mush. Oh. And then and then as he swung away, the, he kept his arm extended. The finger was pointing the other way. I, so I have that one, and that's sharp. But I have this what would have been an incredible shot of him, like just giving me the finger that. Um, Sadly, is uh, lost the depths of time unless some phenomenal piece of AI software can uh, reconstitute it from <laughs> the uh, from the ether. <laughs> yeah, <I've, laughs> so so you are human. Oh then. God, yeah. But you know yourself, <laughs> as any photographer, and I'm sh- I'm happy to admit that for every shot I publish, there's a gazillion that I probably would never dream of publishing. You know, you know yourself. At every, I, well, certainly I can only speak for myself. Like every event I shoot, 
there's definitely shots that don't work out as I intended. And there's happy accidents of shots as well. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. You know, there's a, there's a lot of luck involved. And I guess part of the skill is being prepared for when the luck happens. Um, but there's definite luck uh, in both directions at every single What's, every what's single your favourite shot you've took? The one you're most proud of? The one, there's two answers to that. The one personally I'm most proud of, which is quite bizarre and it's not something I can ever publish any, anywhere. When my, when my daughter was being born, yeah. um, when my wife was in labour, um, she had to take a break uh, at one point because uh, she just was she's really struggling energy-wise. And the nurses and the midwife judged that the baby's heart rate was fine. Evelyn, my daughter, my 10-year-old. And her head was like, her head was out, but only her head. Shit. And yeah, and <clears throat> they made my wife take a break for a couple of minutes. And how, how, my wife how said, you have a break like that? Jesus. Yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> were, were you thinking like I'm on a free <laughs> song part? Like, 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 yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, they gave her a Kit Kat. No, but, um, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a um, so my wife said to me that I, 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 I don't know whether it was the drugs talking, but she said to me that get your camera out of your bag and take a picture of the baby's no. head. I was like, what? So I had the 5D Mark II. Um, so this is 2010 in the bag and took it out with the 50 mil lens and got this shot of just the side on of the ba- baby's face looking straight at yeah, me yeah. Um, with and it's I kind of call it between worlds oh, wow. and it's a very personal picture in the family you know it means so much because yeah. we, had lo- we had lost a few to miscarriages before right. that and oh. it was uh, Evie arriving was still and still is the biggest moment of our lives incredible you know? And yeah, and so that is probably the number one. As regards professionally speaking, um, there's a picture which in 2015 with the script was their official tour poster um, of of, taken from the back of a stage in San Diego um, where Danny, the lead singer, is jumping. The guitarist Mark Sheehan is in the air as well. And their drummer, Glenn Power, who, unlike a lot of drummers, he, he, his position is what is a side of the stage rather than the yeah. middle. Um, he, you can see he's about to slam down on the drums super hard. And it was just this this lovely moment where there are two of them are in the air and this drummer is in this m- massively power pose um, right at the end of the gig. And that shot, there was five nights of preparation for that because for the previous five nights... The first of the previous five nights, I had got something similar with just Danny mm. and the drummer. And we were like, oh, my word, this could be a great picture for the upcoming tour. What was it a, wi- a, was this was was- it a wide shot, I can imagine? Was it a wide lens or not? Uh, well, the first one from the first night was just 15 right, okay. And it was in San Diego and a little warm-up tour before their album yeah. release and before their main tour. Um, and they were supporting One Republic. So uh, the first shot was a 50 mil. And just Danny was jumping off the drum riser uh, with the drummer behind. And then we're back in the tour bus after and we're like, this would be amazing to try and get this with Mark on the other side of the stage in the air, get a nice vantage point and get the lighting right. Um, the, The next night we tried it and... We got everything right except the lights were off because the lights were strobing right. in that part of the show. So we had a, ch- had a chat to the lighting guy. And on the third night, um, the idea was that he was going to stop the lights from strobing and we would try again. So th- on the third night, Danny um, ha- 
just before the last song had been given an Irish flag by someone in the audience and he wore it kind of behind his back as he jumped off the drum kit. So he just looked like a, uh, like an Irish flag with legs, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) which is not what we were going for. And because he was so much nearer me than, than the crowd, he was obliterating half the crowd with his flag. So it was like, we'd do great in a St. Patrick's Day parade, but that's about it. Um, So that was the third night. And then the fourth night, I completely fucked up the timing and didn't get the picture until they all landed. Yeah. And then finally on the fifth night in uh, in San Diego, we uh, were lucky, just got the timing just just as perfect as I could ever hope it to wow. be and ended up, yeah, and it ended up being the tour poster for the tour. Fantastic. Um, oh, that's amazing. But that's, that yeah, goes yeah. back, that, when you dial that right back, that goes back to your mentality of getting it right and practicing and rehearsing and getting every element right from when, you wanted to better yourself right when you were in the pit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, you're going, right, I, I need to, you know, get absolutely nailed this. You could have gone for, that's okay, but you went, no, I want to nail this shot completely. Yeah. And you got it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it, it, it's it's the, it's, it's definitely a mixture of preparation and, yes, definitely an element of luck because, like I said, the night before, arguably I had been just as prepared and I still fucked it up. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But I, I bet before I even knew, I bet before I even knew, or, or even looked as soon as you press that button. I bet you knew. Oh, you I knew it. had it then. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah and you yeah. know, and I knew, and I had even in the sound check, I had checked my aperture, what I needed it to be for every member of the band from that position to be in focus, because I knew where they were all going to jump from. So I was there with my depth of field calculator. What's, mo- what's, uh, most, what's most of your live stuff? Is it, is it flash or a mixture or just all ambient or what? Um, I've never sh- ever shot with a flash at a gig. Oh, okay. Um, I I I'm not set. It's not, I don't think that there's never a place yeah. for it, because there are times when I've, I've heard of artists in very low lit, uh, low lit venues actually wanting their own photographer to right, use yeah. it. Um, but I'm generally, unless, unless it's specifically agreed with the band, I would never okay. use it because it's a, it kind of, it feels like a step above documentary sure, for yeah. me. Yeah. You know, and I, don't get me wrong with certain types of shot. I sometimes wear two, two hats. If I'm giving an image to press, Though I rarely do it, but if I am giving an image to press, I can't start photographing a glass out of a beer on the stage, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, because that stops being a press photo. But if it's for a tour program, I have no problem with removing a water bottle beside yeah, the drum yeah. kit, you know, because that's a very different. That's that's part of the art of producing the art of a tour yeah, yeah. program. So, and I supply assets to their graphic designer who puts them all together, and he might make collages or whatever the case may be. Um, I don't know how I just got there. What did you? I was, I was, you was asking about Flash. Yes. But I'm assuming as well when um, because they are um, recognisable faces like sports stars, mm-hmm. you can't retouch sports stars. And like you say, if there is any retouching, they would have their own in-house retoucher. Mm. But um, but but you are in-house with like the script anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, exactly. I would I would be considered uh, with most of the acts I work with because. There's an element of, of trust involved. You almost end up being like a temporary member of staff whenever you're with them because as soon as you walk in the door, you have a AAA pass and they, you're trusted to go anywhere. But you're ne- I'm never there the whole tour because it's not like the old days where people used to bring photographers. I mean, it doesn't happen occasionally, but bringing a, a photographer on the whole tour doesn't happen very often these days. But they can get so many more assets out of every given gig than they could in the past because of the nature of digital and mass production and and batch processing and all that, that 
a lot of artists, you know, the the people pulling the purse strings who aren't necessarily the band or the management, they're like, okay, when you're before a tour, they're like, they'll show you the list of venues. And normally I get a choice. I get to see, well, this venue is amazing. This venue is amazing. Or this particular run of shows is great. And I'll put a proposition to them. And then, you know, the, the, they come back and say, well, that's great. We can, we're happy with that. Or they might like, mm, that's a little bit more than we want to spend or, you know, so it, it just, it just varies. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Times change, mm. don't they? But hey, speaking of venues though, have you got a venue that you love to shoot in? Yeah. I haven't shot there in a few years now, but a venue where I shot when I was getting going is a venue called the Olympia Theatre in Dublin. Okay. which yep. is quite a historic venue. Um, a lot of the Irish playwrights, um, you know, would have uh, before, performed there back, back in the day in the early parts of the 20th century, you know. Um, but that venue, I shot probably, could easily be 80 or 90 gigs in. And wow. um, uh, the staff are, were lovely. I got to know the place inside and out. Incidentally, it's probably the most dangerous venue to shoot in, in in Ireland, if not the UK and Ireland, because right in the middle of a pit, there is a wooden pallet that's covered with a mat. And you just think, okay, this is just a wooden pallet that some kind person has put there to, because it's quite a high stage, to increase the height for photographers who are trying to shoot. But it's not that. What this pallet is actually covering is a staircase that goes down... Mm-hmm. Under the stage, Shit. so uh, uh, you would walk down as if you were walking towards the stage, but you're going yeah. below it. And it's this big drop into a staircase, which is used for loading, for when the bands are loading in. So this pallet covers over it. And I've never done it, but I have been at gigs where photographers have mysteriously disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> and normally, uh, because like they just vanish, where they've fallen into this, they've put their foot a little bit too forward at the front middle of the stage. And just gone right Whoa. down. Now I'm pretty sure it's been dealt with um, as an insurance and safety issue since, but it was still an issue back when I was shooting there. <laughs> Incredible! <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely <laughs> yeah. insane. That is absolutely yeah, insane. Absolutely. Well, Peter, it's been yeah, it's an been absolute fantastic. pleasure you talking too. to you, mate. And I could absolutely talk to you for hours and hours and hours. Absolutely fascinating. Oh, uh, lovely chat to you guys. Um, Thank you so much for having me on. We'll, we'll put all your um, social details, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter down in the description below so you can have a look at Peter's amazing work. And also check out shootthesound.com, which is Peter's website, which is uh, all of his stunning work there. But once again, mate, thank you very Thanks much. Thanks for having me on. I really, really enjoyed it. Appreciate Thanks, it. It was fantastic. And, uh, Cheers, buddy. Take care. Chat to you soon. Bye.